Thanks, sir. Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Good. All right. Well, some of you are doing good. So it's good to see you all. Two very special weeks in a row. Last week was a wonderful week celebrating uh, the anniversary of Grace Meadows, six years. And talked about how God has done a lot in this church in six years. And today is Father's Day. I just want to quickly say uh, to all the fathers out there who are crushing it, uh, thank you. It's not an easy job to be a father, and if you're out there being faithful, being obedient, praise God for that. It's an important job, a very difficult job, so thank you. And if you didn't know it was Father's Day, it's only 10.22 a.m., so you can still go out and get your dad a Father's Day gift. All right? So don't worry. Um, hey, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Luke chapter 15 together today, and uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there, and, and most of the time... When I read the scriptures, I think, why in the world would the Jewish leaders want Jesus gone, right? I mean, the guy who heals people and resurrects people, that's the guy you're going to want to keep around just in case, right? But this parable right here demonstrates for us why it is that the Pharisees want Jesus gone. There are moments when the culture gets flipped upside down, or in this case, right side up, and we're going to read about a parable that sort of deconstructs everything that the culture thought about God the Father, because Jesus knows that what we think about God the Father is so important, right? It informs what we do when we sin, it informs our everyday life, how we spend our time, it uh, informs uh, everything to the, to the point of how we see grace, how we see freedom, how we walk in that freedom when we sin. Do we turn towards him or do we see him as sort of an angry, distant father that we kind of have to duck our head away from, right? Jesus knows that what we view God the Father as and how he views us is extremely important. And so we're going to learn in Luke 15 uh, what God views us like. Uh, and there are essentially two types of flawed responses that we're going to learn here in Luke 15. Uh, they'll be on the screen here. It's essentially those who have turned away and those who think they've earned their way. Jesus is about to address both of these groups in this parable. Now let's set the stage real quick. We're going to do so by reading the first two verses here in Luke 15. It says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So I just want to set the juxtaposition between the Pharisees and the tax collectors. Because the Pharisees were not just the religious leaders of the day. They were the academics of the day too. They were the scholars. They earned their high positions uh, by working hard. Uh, in fact, you had to memorize the entire Torah to be a Pharisee, that was kind of a baseline, all right? So uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized. Anybody here got that memorized? How about one book? I don't even have a chapter of those five books memorized, okay? They had all five books memorized. That was a prerequisite to being a Pharisee. And uh, what they would do is they would have to follow 
other Pharisees along, and if they became the best of the best students, the, uh, they called them disciples, or they called them little apprentices, if they became the very best, then they would get the name Pharisee. And their devotion to the scriptures and to the law was incredible. I give them a hard time a lot, but their devotion to the law was incredible. Now, the tax collectors, on the other hand, they're essentially the scum of society to the Jewish people. I mean, in fact, Luke doesn't even lump them in with other sinners. He, it's like there's a whole other category. There's sinners, and then there's like six feet of cow manure, and then there's tax collectors in that culture. And the thing is, you can't really blame them for that because tax collectors were instrumental in helping Rome oppress the Jewish state. So tax collectors would often collect a bit more money than they were supposed to, and some of that would go in their pocket, and some of that would go in Rome's pocket, and so this is what funded their ability to uh, have armies kind of patrolling and governing all over the area. They had to have a lot of money to do that, and so tax collectors were the ones who were actually harming their own people to allow another people to oppress their people. And this is why it's nothing short of amazing that Jesus allows tax collectors to listen to him, to, to actually sit in front of them and teach them. It's a, it's a shock to the culture to do that. And he takes it a step farther, too. He says, not only can you listen to my teaching, you actually can be one of my disciples. You can be one of my little apprentices. And that was too much for the Pharisees. They were appalled at Jesus for this. And how could Jesus, I mean, you take, your, take, take a step back 2,000 years and put yourself in this scenario. How could Jesus allow tax collectors to be a disciple of him, an heir, an, a little apprentice to him? I mean, sometimes <laughs> Jesus picks people that you're just like, Jesus, what are you doing? I mean, it's almost like, He's sabotaging his own ministry sometimes with the people he picks. People from the margins, tax collectors, all that. But here's the thing. There's one prerequisite to following Jesus. And it is not your position. It is not uh, what you've earned. It is not your gifts. It's your talents. There's one prerequisition. And it's very simple. Humility before God. To understand the distinction, the, the juxtaposition between our position and who he is. That's it. See, the Pharisees were so um, caught up in earning their way to the Father, they didn't realize that it was his power in us, not the power that we earn, not the position we earn, but his position and his power in us that allows us to do good works. And because of that, Here's his motto. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so who is it that he often calls? Well, he calls those who stand before him in humility. You look at Isaiah 6. Isaiah sees God, and then he just starts woeing himself. He says this in Isaiah 6, 4. He says, And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Man, what the Pharisees have done is they've stopped looking at God with awe and wonder at the schasm between them and him. See, the tax collectors have turned away, and that's kind of self-explanatory, and the Pharisees think they've earned their way. And when we start to think we've earned our way, we've done two things. We, we, we started to elevate ourselves. It, it, two things happen when we do that. Number one, we start to create a distance between us and other people, right? We start to look down on other people. I mean, think of like literally elevating yourself, how you would look down on other people. You start to create categories. You say, you know, I do this thing, so I'm good. And this person doesn't do that thing, so that person's not good, right? But that's not the worst thing. The, the worst thing, much worse than that, is we, uh, when we elevate ourselves, is we decrease the distance between us and God in our minds. And that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be because our, our prayers stop looking like repentance and praise and gratitude. And it starts to look more like uplifting ourselves and saying, God, thank you for making me so much better than other people. In fact, there's a precedent for this. If you flip three chapters from Luke 15 to Luke 18, there's a quick parable I'd like to read that sort of illustrates this point. Starting in verse 9, it says, To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. It says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, I mean, imagine the culture right here when Jesus says this. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What is foundational to our faith is sitting in awe and wonder with humility at God, whether you're the tax collector or the Pharisee. Sitting in awe and wonder with humility at God. So with that, we've got our background for our parable that we're going to read here today. It's going to be in Luke 15, uh, starting in verse 11. Uh, let's dive into how the Father responds to these two groups. It says this, it says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Doesn't even ask. Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now let's stop for a second. Uh, the younger son, who's like the tax collectors, wants his inheritance, and the father could have easily said no. In fact, people probably expected uh, in the story that, that he would say no. He, he could have said, how dare you? I'm not even dead yet, and you want your inheritance from me, right? He could have said Go to your room until you figure out how to care about me as your father instead of wanting my stuff, right? But he doesn't. What he says is, he says, okay, why? Well, remember what we said a few week, uh, weeks ago. God is not after our begrudging submissiveness. He wants our hearts. He wants 
our hearts. And he knows in this moment that he already doesn't have his son's heart. If his son's heart is set on things of the father and not the father, he already knows he doesn't have his heart. So he says, okay, I'll give it to you. Maybe if I give this to you, you'll realize how meaningless it is. Like Solomon says when he, he gains all the entertainment, all the wealth in the world, and he says what? He says it's meaningless. It's meaningless. And man, sometimes I wish for, for those of us who, who have our hearts set on something and we think that thing will complete us, if we could just attain that goal or, or that thing or that money, then we'll be complete. Man, I just, like, it's my prayer that God would just go ahead and give those things to you so that you can look at it and you can say, wow, this is nothing like what I thought before. It is God. My heart belongs to God and God alone. And I think this is what the son begins to realize. Verse 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, and he went to the father. Now let's stop for a second. So... And the son's desperation, he's starting to understand the magnitude of the distinction between him and the father. He's starting to realize everything that the father has done for him and what his response has been to the father. So out of desperation, he says, I, I need to go back to the father. And, and, and catch this parallel between the, the parable in Luke 18 where the tax collector beats his chest and won't even look up to heaven, but says, God, forgive me, a sinner. This is his moment, similar to that tax collector. And, uh, and he's starting to marvel at the Father. But you got to remember this culture. There is no way anybody thinks about what's coming next. Everybody, the tax collectors, the sinners, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, everybody is looking at this. And I know that there were a couple parables before this that seemed to lead us into this idea that Jesus is going to say, but... But a, a human heart versus a sheep and a lost coin is a lot different. I think the Pharisees are thinking, this is the moment of God's wrath and anger. I can't wait for the Father to set the, these disgusting tax collectors in their place. That's what they're thinking. But, like I said, this is a moment where the, the culture shifts, isn't it? This is a culture-shifting moment. Let's read what comes next but while he was still a long way off his father saw him and was filled with rage anger fury no compassion for him he ran to his son not his servant his son he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, he said, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. 
put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And all the jaws in the audience just dropped in this moment. What? This was not the response that anybody was thinking would come next. I mean, the son took the father's money and squandered it on prostitutes. I mean, what could be worse that you could do to the father? But here's the thing. While the culture spent so much time dividing people into the good and bad column, this is the moment where Jesus flips everything around. Maybe, maybe, and, and I'm hedging a little bit because I really don't know, but maybe God the Father doesn't think like that. Maybe he doesn't think in terms of bad and good. Maybe he only thinks of dead and alive and lost and found. Maybe he doesn't stand in heaven jotting down uh, a record of our wrongs to hold against us when the time comes. Maybe he's just looking out the window anticipating our coming home. And maybe he isn't wagging his fingers at our poor decisions. Maybe he just has his arms open waiting for us to come back so that he can help us make better decisions. And if that's the case, if it's about lost and found, not good and bad, we have to fundamentally change everything we ever thought about the Father. Because here's the thing, you don't scoff at things that are lost. You don't get angry with things that are lost. You don't elevate yourself over things that are lost. You find what is lost. And depending on how valuable that thing is, you give up everything else and search for it. Or in this case, you, you anticipate hoping every single day that that lost child just comes home. Just filled with hope that maybe this is the day that that child comes home. Um, the next thing I'm going to say, I, I want to kind of warn you because it uh, could trigger some things for you. Uh, if you've ever experienced pain um, or loss, uh, about five years ago, Morgan and I uh, had a miscarriage, uh, and it was a very difficult time. Uh, we have three wonderful daughters, uh, amazing gifts from God, but I continue to think about that which was lost. Five years later, it's almost just as difficult today as it was then. And, and well-meaning people would come to us at the time and they'd say, you know, I mean, wonderful people who comforted us. They really, truly did during that time. But they would try to comfort us by saying, you know, you do have two really special daughters. Because we had two at the time. But that's just not how it works, is it? Each child is so unique, so valued by the Father. There. There's no height or depth I wouldn't go to so that that child would be found. Imagine how much greater the love of a perfect father would long for his children to come home. If the enemy comes to him and says, okay, fine, take 99, just give me one. He says no deal every time because he wants the one. And he wants you. You're the one. Man. This father, I'd imagine... I'd imagine every day he was looking out the window. Is this the day? Is this the day? My son comes home. Is this the day? And then when he finally does, he, he can't help but run to him. 
I don't even know if this father has run in years. I mean, who knows how old he is? Who knows how well he's run? But he says, I have to run and go meet my son who's coming home. And he said, we got to celebrate. Bring out the best china we got. Cook up that steak. Pull out the dance floor. We got to celebrate because my son is home. That's the father we have. Wants us to come home. Let's keep reading. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, All these years I've been slaving for you, uh, notice that word, slaving for you, and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat, which somebody after the service explained to me, what does he want to do with a young goat? I have no idea. I've tried to figure it out. So if you enlighten me after the service, uh, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, no, 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 not my brother, your son, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, imagine the Pharisees, Excuse me, my brother? You're saying the tax collector is my brother? We had to celebrate. See, the father delights in our coming home. He doesn't just allow us to come home. He delights in it, and he celebrates when we do. Loves it when we come home. Now, Jesus leaves the parable open-ended for the older brother in the story who, who represents the Pharisees. He's laid out an invitation for the Pharisees to humbly come before the father. See, the Pharisees have this same opportunity that the tax collector had to turn from their worldview about bad and good, about earning God's favor, and instead they can marvel and embrace this free gift of grace from the Father. But like the older son failed to realize his own rebellion against the Father, the Pharisees failed to realize their rebellion against the Father. They never thought for a second that they had rebelled against the Father as well. See, we can learn, we can lean towards outright rebellion like the younger son did or we can lean towards the rebellion of thinking we've earned the father's favor as opposed to understanding that every single thing we've been given is a gift of God's grace and mercy see love is not earned by the father it's just something he does you know but better than that it's not even just something he does it's who he is to love both sons And while we don't have a conclusion to the story for the Pharisees, um, we do know ultimately what they decide to do. And and they don't come humbly before Jesus. Their response is to want to kill Jesus. Uh, They're so uh, blinded by self-righteous that they can't even see the truth of the gospel. And they arrest Jesus like it's some banana republic during the dead of night uh, for blasphemy. And their hand is finally revealed. It was, they're, they're so disgusted 
by this inclusive gospel that they try him during the night and they break their own rules because it was never about the rules in the first place. It was about maintaining their high position that they feel like they've earned. And listen, the tax collectors are no better than the Pharisees. Both groups of people are equal. Jesus paved the way for the younger son to come back to the father, and he would have made a pathway from the field for the older son to join the party. So, if he so choose. But he didn't. Jesus loves the Pharisee, and he loves the tax collector. And he's just pleading with the Pharisee to embrace the Father. The question I want us to leave here today is, uh, what is your response to the Father? Very simply, when you sin, what is your response to the Father? Do you truly like know that when we sin, the best thing for us to do is turn right back towards Him? Not away from Him until we start to do a little bit better. Okay, you know, I, I ditched that sin habit, so now I feel comfortable coming to you. Man, we need to deal with problems at home with our Father. What is your response today to the Father? What is your response to Him in, in your prayer life? What do you, how do you talk to Him? What does that kind of look like? You know, do, who, do you, who do you feel like you're engaging when you talk to the Father? And I, I considered the idea of doing just a, like a Father-specific uh, sermon today to just kind of address kind of the responsibilities of the Father. And I felt like that would be worthwhile. I really do. I think that's very, very valuable. But today, I just wanted to universally say to us who it is that we have as our Father. I, I don't know what your experience has been like with Father, but man, our Father's good. He is good. He is perfect in every way. There's nothing lacking in Him or from Him. He loves you, and He just wants you to come home. So during this time of worship, the band's going to come up, and we're going to enter a time of worship, and I just... I'd love for you to think about that. What does it look like? What would it, what would it look like for me to truly embrace who it is, who the Father really is? What would that look like for me? How would my life look different if I really saw him as a compassionate father who, who thinks in terms of dead or alive and, and lost and found instead of good or bad? Or maybe you're in that group where you feel like, you know, I, wait a second, I'm doing really well. I'm earning things. You know, I don't like this idea because I'm doing better than a lot of people what does it look like for you to to take a step back and and look at the great distinction between God the Father and us like Isaiah says he gets a glimpse of of who God is and he says woe is me wow and and the tax collector in Luke 18 he beats his chest and he says God have mercy on me a perfect father and 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 look at me I'm not perfect in any way God please have mercy on me. What does that look like for you today? There's going to be a couple elders come down to the front. If you need somebody to talk to about what it looks like to follow Jesus, do that today. If God is convicting your heart today to do that, please don't wait. Please do it today. Or maybe you just need somebody to pray with today. Um, They'd love to just talk with you and pray with you. The altar is also open if you just want to come before the Father and just say thank you. Thank you for this radical grace and mercy. Thank you for this story that demonstrates that you are a compassionate father who just wants his kids to come home. Let's pray. Father, we're so, we come before you in in an abundance of gratitude that 
that we haven't earned anything. Uh, Father, there's, there are many of us who have just completely turned away, and then there's a lot of us who feel like we've earned our way. And Father, I pray that uh, no matter what group people come in today, that they just look at you this morning and they say, wow, look at this Father that we have. Wow, look at this Father that we have. And I pray that you will allow us to, to use those truths to, uh, to allow us to take our next steps in our relationship with you. And most of all, Father, this morning, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you sent your son to make a way. Your son has paved the road back from where we've wandered off to come back home to be with you. And Father, we thank you for the cross. And we thank you for the resurrection. We love you a whole lot. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.